Thanks so much for listening to the Clifton Church of Christ sermon podcast. We really appreciate you taking the time to listen, and we hope if ever you're in Clifton, Texas, you'll stop by and say hello. We hope you enjoy this sermon. We've been going through a series on Colossians. It was a 10-week series, and one thing I tried to talk about last week, which um, this week is, I I have a Philemon as the title, because we're going to be reading from there, or as Catherine wanted me to say, Philemon. She's like, is it Philemon or Philemon? I said it, for people that are trying to act fancy, it's Philemon. So uh, Philemon, you know, if you grow up saying it like that, that's fine. But um, I tried to talk about this last week and tried to give you all some insight of why Colossians and Philemon should be read together. And it's because many people don't necessarily notice this when you read it, but the person who's delivering the letter of Colossae to the church there also has in his back pocket the letter to Philemon. And so everything that you read in the letter of Colossae that's setting up a lot of what he's like, oh, by the way, I have this letter that I want to read to Philemon. And so they sh- they, they're good to be read in concert with each other. So if you would, turn in your Bibles or you can follow along on the screen. We're going to read, and as we go through, I'm going to just try and point some things out uh, about just how important this is. I guess before we read, I, I want to give you a little backstory. Philemon is a well-off Christian who lives in Colossae. And it's very likely that when he was in Ephesus, when Paul was preaching the gospel, and that's likely where he became a Christian. He heard Paul preaching in Ephesus. Maybe if you want to make a note in Acts 19, might have been the very place where Philemon heard the message and said, I want to become a Christian. And like all well-off Christians back then and all well-off people, Philemon had slaves. Now, if it makes you feel better to say bond servants, you can, but the bottom line is it was, they had servants or slaves. And while Philemon is hosting this church and the Colossian church in his home, one of his slaves, who we don't know if Onesimus had already become a Christian or had, probably had not yet become a Christian, one of his slaves, Onesimus, wrongs him, potentially steals something from him, potentially, I don't know, does something to make him mad or wrong him, and then runs away. And then Onesimus, he runs away and in that process, meets Paul while Paul is in prison. And Paul and Onesimus become close. And I believe it's there that Paul converts Onesimus to become a Christian. And now Paul is in this really difficult spot because he's got his friend Philemon, who he loves as a Christian brother. And he knows he probably needs to go back because that's what the legal system would want him to do. And he also has an uncomfortableness because he also has a message for Philemon of how he wants him to receive Onesimus back. And I think often about, I, I couldn't pick an example, but I, I, I ended up deciding to pick like a principle. I don't know how many of you are friends with a principle or know many, many principles, but when a principle has to send out an announcement or say something, usually no one likes it. It's never fully liked by anyone. Either the other teachers are, uh, I don't really love this, or the parents are, okay, well, I don't really love this. Or the students are, oh, I don't really like that update. It's very rare that someone like a principal can ever announce anything and it not make everyone a little upset. Does that make sense? Uh, frankly, sometimes that's what church work is like. You know, sometimes you want to make an, a comment or announcement and you know you're going to have half the people that are going to be a little upset that you didn't go more this way and half the people that are a little upset you didn't go more this way. And it's probably better to have both groups mad at you a little bit than one really mad at you and one happy with you. But Paul is in a predicament because he's writing a message where he knows this is going to ruffle some feathers on this side and it's going to ruffle some feathers on this side. And so he walks this line. So let's read this together. 
just point out some stuff. You'll see some things highlighted too that I'll want to mention. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother. It's very likely Timothy is writing for Paul again, and Paul is telling him, okay, write this next. To Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker. Also to Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier. I think Aphia is, is Philemon's wife, and Archippus is his son. It's like, hey, also to your wife and your, my little, little friend, Archippus, uh, your son. And to the church that meets in your home, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers, because I hear about your love for all his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. So Paul is, he really likes Philemon. He's a big fan. He's thankful for the partnership that they have. And this word is crucial in many ways. I want to, there's two main ingredients of what I want to talk about today. And the first one is this word partnership. In Greek, it's the word koinonia. And I just want to mention it because I went to a church camp growing up called Camp Koinonia. And, uh, oh man, it was the best church camp. Uh, and so, uh, anyway... Uh, the word often gets translated in your Bibles as fellowship. That's the word. But it doesn't quite do justice, in my opinion. And the word partnership helps a lot. Because when I hear the word fellowship, often I think, okay, we're in the same room together. You know, we're in fellowship together. If, if Kendall is on a sports team, you know, there's people on the team where it's like, okay, we're in fellowship together. But if Kendall really cares about meeting that person in the group, that's a partnership. You don't, there's no such thing as a partnership where there's not a sense in which you're like, I need you in this. We, we're needed. Both of us are important to this factor. And so Paul is saying, Philemon, you're my partner. We're in this together. We're striving together. And I want you to hold on to that and remember that for later. One of the things that was really helpful for me planning this sermon is a thing I reference a lot, Bible Project. And here's, here's how it describes it. The key word here is partnership, or in Greek, koinonia. It means sharing mutual participation. It's when two or more people receive something together and share in it, becoming partners. I often think about, and I'm not just kissing up, but I think about how much this church is run by a, a partnership of people. There's a lot of churches that are very, they just have a whole lot of staff that do all this stuff and run everything, and the members of the church kind of just show up to be a part of it. Not here. Not here. Here, now, I will say Melissa does far more than her share of the work, and I, I admit that freely. But here, so much of what we do is because of y'all being a partner in this together. There's a, there's a sense in which I, I can't, we can't do God's flowers without Celia putting so much into that. You know, we can't do the ladies' Bible class without Linda being so much a partner in this. You know, we can't do so many of the things that we do without a partnership of unpaid volunteers doing this together. It's a great analogy of what Paul is talking about. So, like I said, hold on to that word partnership and let's keep, let's keep reading. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do. Here's, this line is going to be throughout the whole letter. How many of you are like, you, you have those times where you know there's something you want to make somebody do, but you know you can't. They have to choose it for themselves. I picture, this is a, a mother thing here. You know, whenever kids are little, they don't have, the, the mom's make them do what they need to do. You have to eat those carrots. But there comes a point 
when you grow up where your mom, you can tell they're kind of trying to twist your arm to tell you what they think you ought to do, but they know you have to decide it for yourself. They can't force you. You know, Shantae, you're, you're here at the point now where Caitlin, from now on, she really gets to do what she wants to do. She's an adult. But you can try and say, like, I really think you ought to consider this. You know, I know life insurance is some extra money, but you really ought to consider this or whatever. Okay, there's all sorts of ways you're going to try. And, and what's funny about this letter is you're going to see Paul is saying, Philemon, I can't force you to do what I want you to do. But he does twist his arm pretty good. I'll show you. There's some pretty funny parts where it's pretty good. Like, it's like when a mom says, like, listen, you don't have to listen to me, but I did labor for six hours with you. Uh, so uh, you owe me. You know what I mean? There's kind of a, like, yeah. Uh, okay. So he says, although I could be bold and I could force you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. It is, it is as none other, or wait, it is I, let me, I think I copied and pasted that wrong. Let me see. Go to over here. Um, I'm in verse 5. Let me find it. Uh, Therefore, I appeal to you. Okay. I appeal to you uh, for my son. Uh, It is none other than Paul, an old man, now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, that I appeal to you for my son, Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Uh, this phrase became my son. Paul likes to talk about the people that he brings to know Christ as a parent. He calls himself a nursing mother in some place in the New Testament. He's, he's, he feels like Onesimus, his, the runaway slave, is his son. Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and me. This is a play on words here because the name Onesimus in Greek means useful. And so whenever Onesimus ran away from Philemon and probably stole something... I'm sure Philemon was like, that useless slave, that useless piece of something. And the useless is what Paul is, he's saying, listen, your former slave who you probably named useful, that was his name, Onesimus, he was once useless to you. And now he has become useful to both of us by becoming a part of uh, the faith. I am sending him, who is my very heart, back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I'm in change in the gospel. So here's the awkward situation. He wants Onesimus to stay with him, and he wants Onesimus to be freed. But he also knows that he needs to go back. And so part of this message that's uncomfortable is Onesimus is like, do I seriously have to go back? Yes. And now the uncomfortable part comes for Philemon of how is he going to respond. I do also want to mention that... uh, Uh, I like this part where he kind of, this is part of the twisting the arm. He says, listen, I'd love to keep him with me, serving me like you should be here. He says, uh, I would have liked to keep him here with me, taking the place, your place. You should have been here helping me, but he's been here helping me. So that's one little arm twist from Paul. But I did not want to do anything without your consent, so that my favor, so that any favor you do would not seem forced, but would be voluntary. Do I need to change the slide now? No. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and also as a brother in the Lord. This part, I think, is so tricky for us to communicate, and I I just hope you would believe me when I say the amount of social discord this would create if Philemon were to take his runaway slave back and not only forgive him, that would create a problem. All of his neighbors are like, listen, if we just let runaway slaves come back and forgive him, like, all my, all my slaves are going to be, you know, revolting. It's going to cause so much hectic. It's just going to be a pain, Philemon. You can't do this. 
it's a whole other level to say, not only if you greet him back and forgive him, but if you make him a brother in Christ and no longer a slave, it's going to unravel the, sto- the social status. It's just everything is going to be upended. You really got to consider this, Philemon. And, and Paul, he knows he's asking a lot, but he says, uh, I want you to, uh, I'm encouraging you to do this. And here is where the partner word comes back in. So if you consider me as Paul a partner, I want you to welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done anything wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I charge it to me. So I, Paul, am writing this in my own hand. I will pay it back. This is where I believe Paul takes the pen Timothy's been writing and he says, look, I'm writing this myself. I will pay back the debt. Not to mention that you owe me your very self. Here's the greatest example of the twisting from Paul. He says, by the way, if he owes you anything, I'll pay it. But don't forget that you owe me your salvation. That's kind of the whole mom saying, you know, I, I, I had you, I carried you, I brought you into this world, I can take you out, that, that whole thing. Paul is saying, by the way, don't forget though, that you owe me far more than Onesimus could ever owe you. And part of, uh, so let me finish this section, um, and then I want to make a point. He says, I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. Okay, so one of the things that's a, a, such a crucial part of this letter, this letter just doesn't get enough credit. It's not talked about enough. It's so powerful. And part of why it doesn't get talked about as much is there is no part of this that we get a whole lot of this is how you should do something. There's not a whole lot of that in here, right? We don't get love your enemies, or we don't get that in plain words. Another reason is this is Paul's only letter where he doesn't mention the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Of all the letters in the New Testament that Paul wrote, this is the only one where he does not say, Jesus Christ died for you and was raised for you. He doesn't say it. But what he does is, with his message, he shows that. Because what he has done is he has said, this, this is a, from 2 Corinthians 5, Paul writes, in the Messiah, God was reconciling the world to himself not counting people's sins against them. He has taken that truth and he has applied it to this situation. He has said, just like Christ did not count our sins, but took them on himself to reconcile us back to God, I am going to do that for you too. Paul has said, Philemon, you've got a beef with Onesimus. Onesimus, you have messed up. You ran away. You probably stole something. And you've got to come back. And I need you all to reconcile. But instead of saying, hey, y'all, just shake hands, what I'm doing is I am offering myself as the one that's going to take the penalty. Uh, he says, if he owes you anything, put it on me, which is exactly what Jesus Christ did for us. Christ came and he said, if there's any sins that, that any of you have done that you owe, put them on me and I'll take them on myself. Paul is embodying that. Another part of this I think is so important that I, I, don't, I don't think we think enough about is how for Paul, he could have easily just said, listen, Onesimus, you need to stop doing that, and, but never made him and Philemon reconcile. But I believe when you are a group of people where your whole mission is about the fact that you have been reconciled to God and that you have been reconciled to each other, if you're not practicing that in every little detail, then it's empty. It's empty words. You cannot be, Philemon cannot go and help encourage people to come to his church and call a say and say, this place is a community where our Savior died to reconcile us to God so that we can be together. Oh, but by the way, I'm not really going to do that with my own life. I'm not going to do that with this private matter, personal thing in my life. 
Paul is saying, no, I have to get y'all to reconcile this because your message is cheapened if your private life is not proclaiming this message also. So let's finish reading and then I'll find a way to somehow bring partnership and reconciliation together. And one thing more, prepare a guest room for me because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. He's like, by the way, I'm coming to visit. I'll, I'll be able to see in person how y'all took care of this. Um, Epiphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings. He's the one that started the church in Colossae. And so do Mark and Aristarchus and Demas and Luke, my fellow workers. All the names that were mentioned at the end of, of Colossians. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. One of the, the two th I'm going to try and take this reconciliation and this partnership together. And I, I have a story that I think will help. There's a woman I know that Catherine and I and her sister have been able to work with who's a missionary. Her and her husband, Mark and Allie Kaiser, are missionaries in Brazil. And Allie told a story once that I remember. She talked about being in church, and the church that she worked for had a large homeless population that lived nearby and would come to church. She remembered one particular Sunday sitting in church and the homeless man that was next to her just smelled particularly terrible. And she remembered all service just thinking about how she couldn't focus on anything because of just how much he smelled and how difficult it was for her to look past that and just on her mind constantly. But then the point in the service came where the communion trays were passed. And when the communion trays were passed, she remembered vividly him holding the plate and reaching it over to her. I've, this is what my parents used to always do when I was a kid, where my dad would hold the plate or my mom would hold the plate, and then they'd both take the drink at the same time. You've seen that before, right? Or you've done that before? And he held it to her with the cup, and she reached in, and he reached in at the same time. And what she remembered in that moment was, this is what unites us right here. Not whether I'm homeless or not homeless, not whether I'm any sort of any category we want to put on ourselves. The reason that we are brothers and sisters in Christ is because we both are in need of reaching into the same tray, both in need of the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the burial, the, the giving of His life for us. Billy Graham has this line that he says where he says, uh, at the foot of the cross, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. All of us, no matter where you come from, we are all on equal ground in need of Christ, all on equal ground in how much we've been forgiven. And so for me, part of, why, part of why Paul would say, not only is the ground level, like you're both in need of forgiveness, he would also say, you're partners now. You're not just, oh, I forgive you, you're okay. But you are in this together. It's not a, you get to tag along, I forgive you. It's, I'm in need of us to be in partnership together. We need each other in this endeavor. When you become a part of the, this new community, you recognize that you are equal partners, equally gifted, with ways to serve the kingdom. And this letter shows us that the ramifications of the gospel of Christ must transform your personal and private places in your life. Even if it comes at great cost to your social standing or your reputation. I would say especially when it comes at a cost to your reputation. For Paul, the way Philemon deals with Onesimus will say a great deal about how much the gospel has infiltrated his whole life. If you really are aware of the gospel and how much you were lost and how much you are in need of grace and forgiveness, how is it possible for you not to extend grace and forgiveness to someone else? If you are really aware of the fact that when the blood of Christ is on you and washes you, then you are no longer defined by race or social status. You are defined by Christ. Paul said in Colossians 3, 11, what we just read, 
In God's new family, there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free. But Christ is all and is in all. And so the, the thing I want you to take away today before we finish is, for Paul, the reason this matters, the reason this is worth dealing with this sticky situation, this uncomfortable situation, is because the gospel hangs upon it. If you can't let even the difficult things in your life be something that you surrender over to the fact that the reconciliation, the mercy, the grace, the forgiveness need to happen, then you're not going to be able to, to, you really haven't accepted the message. And what I want to encourage you is, if you ever find yourself out in the world and you see people and it makes you turn up your nose, or you see the way people are living your life and you're immediately like, oh, you don't get just how much you needed that reconciliation. You have to be someone that's willing to see that and think, I want to bring that and offer that to you just like Paul does. If you see someone who's come to church and it's like, oh, well, I'm, you know, they're here now, but you don't realize that they are now a partner with you, equal in the fact that you are just as much of need of their participation in this kingdom as they need you, then you haven't quite gotten it yet. And I want to encourage you to think about that. And when you walk out of here today, I want you to look around at each other and realize just how thankful we are to be in a place where so many of the people here, all of the people here are people we need you here. Not, and I'm not saying we need you here like go sign up for all the, I'm saying we need you here because we need each other in the kingdom. That's how God designed it. So if any of you would like to learn more about what this message is all about, I'd love to talk to you. I'd love to tell you about Jesus and just how much the, the message of the gospel transforms to where no matter what you've done before, you're no longer seen as the runaway slave but you're seen as a brother in Christ, a sister in Christ, a redeemed child of God. If any of you have any prayer requests, our elders are going to be standing at the doors while we stand and sing this.